Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Hey, Mosaic, how y'all doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. And it's officially Christmas. We have gotten through Thanksgiving. We are in the Christmas season. How many of you have started your shopping? A couple, okay. Any overachievers already started their wrapping? I know, I gave a little shame on that. So even if you were, you were like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I feel like I'm being called out. Uh, we have a couple more weeks, so don't worry. But I know for the parents in the room, this can be a time where we're trying to create Christmas magic for our kids. We're trying to create memories. And I actually have a holiday memory that I want to share with you this morning of one of my special holidays. Now, this was a few years ago, and what happened is I somehow convinced my family to drive to the other side of the state that we lived in, which was Illinois at the time, to spend our Thanksgiving weekend in an obscure hotel ballroom so that I could compete to be Miss Teen Illinois. <laughs> we have a photo. Hey, look at that. There's one that's even worse, believe it or not. Let's see that second one. Guys, it's okay. You can laugh. Those bangs were a choice. I did that on purpose, believe it or not, on purpose. Um, shockingly, looking at those photos, I did not win, but I did come in dead last, which is, you know, an accomplishment that most people cannot say. So at least I got that. Somebody asked me after last service, they were like, I need to know what your talent was. I said, I didn't have one. I didn't make it that far. <laughs> so, you know, regardless, even though I left sobbing, this was still a very special holiday memory for me because in my deranged, naive, I don't know what I was thinking, little brain, I thought that this was a step to me fulfilling my dream, which is to become Miss America. Yes. See, even still, even though I know I'm past the age limit, I'm like, I could still do it. There's no way. There's no way. But this was my dream. I wanted to be Miss America. And before you're like, girl, we see those pants. We know why you wanted to be Miss America. It was the dress and the tiaras and everyone always telling her how beautiful she was. How many of us don't want that? Right. But also she was a good person. It was what Miss America stood for. It was what she embodied. And you know this. Now, think about the interview portion. If you've ever watched a pageant, the answer is already coming to your brain. That is the right answer. I'm going to ask you in a second. Hold on to it. But when they always ask the delegates, what are you going to bring as Miss America? Or what change are you hoping to see? What did she always say? She would answer, world, world peace. See? <laughs> Miss America, you guys, the best, the best person to try to aspire to be. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is obviously when I hear the word peace, 
That's what I think of. I think of Miss America. I think of world peace. I think of tiaras and a sash and all of the things that we could do if only we could all be Miss America one day. It'd be so great in my dreams. Okay, so for you, when you hear the word peace, what do you think of? What do you think of? Maybe you're a little bit older than me, and so maybe you think of that counterculture movement of the 60s and 70s, and when you hear peace, you think of like vans and tie-dye and, and peace signs. Maybe you're a parent, and so peace for you is equated with bedtime. I know because I am a parent. And that's the time of day where you finally put them to bed and put them back to bed and put them back to bed and put them back to bed. And you've checked and then it's quiet. And so you know that is a time of peace in your household. At Christmas, the word peace often conjures up, right? Images of sleeping baby Jesus, sleeping in heavenly peace. I think regardless of what we think of, you know, sometimes peace can be the absence of conflict, or we think about peace being no conflict. There's a biblical idea of peace that's about a right relationship with God. I think whatever it is that comes to mind when you think about peace, it's very tempting to look around and go, but did we actually miss it? Has it actually come down to earth? Like maybe Jesus brought hope and light and life and salvation, but like I think possibly he forgot about the peace part. Because if you look around our world, it does not feel peaceful. There is conflict happening. There are wars happening. Have you ever heard that phrase, the war on peace? I'm like, is that supposed to be cute? Like I don't get it because war is still not peaceful. It's still conflict. It's still fighting in your own families. Many of you are not looking forward to the holiday season because it's not bringing peace for you. It's actually bringing more conflict. And so instead of singing Christmas carols and having all these words in your ears of hope and peace, the words that are not said are actually what's speaking louder. What you actually hear more is the absence of the people who are not there because of loss or because of conflict or because they've been flat out uninvited this year. I think one of the hardest places for me to acknowledge and admit that there is no peace is my own inner turmoil. It's that secret unrest, the places that you don't feel settled and the things that you don't wanna tell anyone or maybe even think that you can. Maybe for you, you don't feel like you have peace in your marriage because you don't like the person that you've become or you don't like the person that your spouse has become and you don't feel like you can have that conversation or you tried to have it before and it didn't really pan out, so instead you just simmer in it all the time. Maybe some of you don't have peace in your parenting and it's really hard for you to admit because you look at your kids and you know that you should be grateful because there are people that don't have this precious gift and you, yes, absolutely love them, but there are secret moments where you're like, I don't have peace in my parenting because God, why couldn't you have given me a different kind of kid? Why couldn't you have given me a child that was just a little bit more normative? Why couldn't you have given me a child that more aligned with my expectations that I might actually know what to do with? I think some of you have a missing piece, even though you're here or watching online right now, because your missing sense of peace is in your relationship with God or in scripture or in the institution of the church. 
and you can't even talk to anybody else about it because you're so shaken that your entire operating system, basically this faith that you have built your entire life on, you're now unsure of. And you can't talk to anybody about it. So you just carry it around as this constant churning in your spirit. And it's only getting worse now in the Christmas season where apparently everyone believes in dear, sweet, little baby Jesus. And so you just carry around the turmoil. And so your question, maybe back to me right now, is like, cool, cool. How can I have peace when my life is in pieces? How can I have peace when the world is in pieces? And see, this is exactly where the Jewish people were. If we go back to that very first Christmas, God had made them promises through all kinds of prophets, Ezekiel, Micah, Isaiah, promises declaring that the end of conflict was coming and peace was going to come. There would be restoration. There would be end to all the turmoil. And then God went silent for four Hundred years. 400 years of silence. When we read our Bibles, because it's all put together there, right there in that one little book, we finish the books of the prophets in the Old Testament and we turn the page and we're like, yay, Jesus is here. <laughs> Old Testament, New Testament. Here's how it was, here's how it is now. We just flip the page. That takes, I don't know, math, a partial part of a second, right? Takes no time at all. There were 400 actual years of silence, where life kept happening and people kept living, but it seemed as though God was no longer there. There were centuries, there were generations of people that went by. There would not have been a conversation of like, hey, remember when God showed up and told us this? Nope, not in my lifetime. It has not happened. No new prophets were raised, no new revelations to the Jewish people. So all they had as life was going on, as religious systems were being built, as religious leaders and groups were coming up in power, clearly without the direction of God himself, all they had were these prophecies and promises to hold on to. Like this one in Isaiah 9 that you hear often at Christmas. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace, help me out, will what? Will never end. It will never end. So as we allow Advent to take us back, we can see why the birth of this coming Messiah, why the birth of this baby mattered so much. The word Advent actually comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. So like us, the Jewish people were in a season of waiting, maybe feeling abandoned by God. They were desperate for peace and they were trying so hard to believe what was coming, that peace was coming, restoration was coming in this Messiah. And think of a, a lot of us, if we're honest, are also in a season of waiting. We're also waiting on the fulfillment of promises that God has made to us, that God has made in our lives. And friends, we may not see the fulfillment of these until the second coming of Jesus. So here we are holding on to our own promises and our own prophecies, trying to believe that God is still here when he seems silent. 
maybe you know or hold on to yourself these words from Revelation. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. How amazing does that sound? All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. If it's easier for you to relate to the waiting, for the longing, for the crying out, wondering if God is there, can I please give you some encouragement that this is exactly what the Advent season is about. Advent is a both and time frame where we can both celebrate the joy and the peace that is coming to earth in the arrival of Jesus and give voice to all of the broken things in our lives that are not yet whole. As we also wait again for the coming, for the arrival of God to come and make all things right and new. Every year, our family watches a movie called The Star. Anybody seen The Star? It's a cartoon version of Mary and Joseph going from Nazareth to Bethlehem for baby Jesus to be born. And I'm not even gonna let you uh, believe that we watch this for my kids. We watch this for me. This is one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Not Christmas movies, of all time. Love it so much. I laugh, I cry, I'm telling you, you gotta watch it. So this year, we're watching it and my oldest daughter, Marley, at the end, she proposes a question to me and she's like, mom, what if Jesus hadn't been born? I was not prepared. I'm literally crying. I'm like, Marley, I'm still trying to get over Bo the donkey's revelation that like he got to carry Jesus. I can't, I don't know what to tell you. And honestly, I gave her nothing good. I had no profound answer for her. I'm pretty sure I told her to go to bed because it was time on our house for peace. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, peace time, peace. But her question stuck with me. What if Jesus hadn't been born? What if he hadn't been born? What if in some alternate reality, it hadn't actually happened? I think there are a lot of people that live as if that was true. Or maybe they acknowledge that a person of Jesus was born, but they're like, whatever. It was nothing really actually all that special. And can I tell you a secret? They're living pretty good lives. Those people are living pretty fine lives. They're falling in love. They're getting married. They're getting good jobs. They're accomplishing their goals. They're finding success. They're maybe even finding moments of peace, at least temporary peace. But I think the difference is when life hits back. I think the difference is that we see that you can't find true and lasting peace without Jesus. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Say shalom. Shalom means completion or wholeness. As a verb, it actually means to make something complete or to restore it completely. So my friend, Dr. Lucretia Berry is a professor. And so she talks about this in a very like wise and profound way. I'm gonna put my own spin on it that will not be wise and profound, but hopefully we can still understand this together, but you gotta help me out, okay? So take your two hands, take your dominant hand. For me, that's my right hand, the one you write with. Okay, this is you. This is your life. You can drive with this hand. You can eat with this hand. You can write with this hand. There's all kinds of things you can do with this hand, right? This is you. Your other hand is God. And so what happens often is we're over here living our life, functioning just as we can, and God's over here doing his thing, being holy, 
doing whatever God does. I'm not really sure because I'm this hand over here, right? And so what we do is we live our lives like this. We live our lives knowing that God's presence is here and we just kind of go around in proximity living around him. Now, every now and then, we wanna have a little interaction. So we might come in and be like, dear Jesus, prayer hands, I need something from you. So here I am. Then we go back to live in life. Maybe God does something really cool. Maybe he answers a prayer and then we're like, hey God, I see you. Yeah, fist bump, you did it, okay. Well done, God. And then we go back over here and we're living our life again. The only way to actually find wholeness and completion and who we are I need you to bring your hands back up. I know I want a little rabbit trail there. Is to take our fingers and interlace them together. This is shalom. This is wholeness. This is what brings a different kind of, of peace. When we find our lives and ourselves in completion, in connection with God. Philippians says that this kind of peace is a peace that does not make sense. This is my favorite verse on peace that I take to every grief situation when I don't have the words because it brings me so much comfort. It says, this peace that you will experience, God's peace exceeds anything we can understand. He will guard your hearts and your minds as you, what? Live, as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that transcends understanding. Of course, we can't hold on to this peace. Of course, this is something that we can't understand or process. This is not something that we can access on our own. This peace, this settled spirit only comes when we are in right relationship with God. And in case that sounds churchy to you, let me explain what right relationship with God means. It does not mean that you are a perfect Christian. It does not mean that you live a sinless life. Being in right relationship with God just means that you are trying to live in a way that invites him in, that brings him in to all of the things that your life is putting forward. This peace comes in and guards our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus, not once we've gone and figured it out, on our own. It is a peace that is here living among us. Life is messy. Anybody agree? Anybody would say life is messy because we have to live it with other people mostly is why. <laughs> it's complicated, right? It's complex. There are relationships and moving parts and situations. So if your life feels chaotic, if you feel like your life is spinning or you're spiraling, or you would say, man, I don't know, I just don't feel like myself right now. Could it be that you are not experiencing your true wholeness because you have locked hands with something else instead? Could you have locked hands with something else instead? Maybe you've locked hands with fear because fear has come in and told you that things are never going to get better. And so you listen to that voice and you let that voice dictate your choices and your behaviors. Maybe you've locked hands with anxiety who not only tells you that things are never gonna get better, but anxiety also tells you things are actually gonna get worse. So then what you do is you lock onto that and you live your life always on the defensive, always waiting, not experiencing peace, not experiencing joy, because you're always watching and waiting for the next shoe to drop. 
Maybe you've locked hands with shame and shame has come in and told you, this is your own fault. You are the reason that you don't have peace. Don't go to God with this. What is he gonna do? You got yourself into this situation. God's gonna be ashamed. Figure this out. And then you go to him when you're holy. Maybe you've locked hands with pride and your pride is actually telling you to keep all of these churning things, all of your struggles private and inside Because if you dared tell anyone, then they would know actually what kind of person you are. And so instead, we live with this inner turmoil. We cannot live in peace. And life will tell you that if something within you feels broken down, you need to grab on to whatever life is offering to find some comfort. And that could be scrolling social media way longer than you should. It could be binging Netflix. It could be binging food. It could be binging alcohol. It could be stuffing your feelings down, doing whatever it takes to push them away and silence the voices that are so loud in your head that are causing chaos and not bringing you any kind of peace. But the peace of God says, you are not broken. You are not broken. You just need to be restored to wholeness in him. And the only way you can do that is by letting go of whatever you have been holding on to that you have believed is going to bring you some temporary comfort so that you can reach out and take the hand that is extended to you that brings a peace that will never end. See, I think peace maybe started at Christmas. I think maybe peace came down at Christmas when Jesus was born, but true shalom didn't find its completion until 33 years later. Colossians tells us this. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. If the birth of Jesus brought peace to earth, then it is his death and resurrection that is the assurance that that peace will stay with us forever. If it is the birth of Jesus that brought the peace of heaven down to earth, it is his death and resurrection that assures it will stay with us forever. It is the peace of God that will restore all of our pieces. If you've ever walked through something really hard, maybe it's anything from a diagnosis to a divorce to a fight with a friend or a coworker or your boss, maybe somebody in your own household, maybe a a breakup, another job interview, financial hits that you did not plan for. What helps in those moments? What are the things that help when life hits hard? It's knowing that someone else has been there. It's knowing that someone else has lived through it and come out on the other side. It's someone else that can say to you, hey, I know this sucks, but I've lived this and I've come through and I believe the same is gonna happen for you. That is exactly why God came to earth in the person of Jesus. That is exactly why God in all of his fullness was like, I'm coming to earth in a human, in the body of Jesus, who is going to live among you and live a life. Jesus walked on this earth with other people. 
with other broken, complicated, messy people. He knew what it was like to not be liked. He knew what it was like to have to make hard choices, to always do the right thing. Jesus lived the life that we are living so we can trust him when he says, I know life is hard. I know it's not supposed to be like this. I know that you don't feel like there is peace right now, but can I please tell you, if you will walk with me, if you will trust me, if you will lock hands with me, I will bring peace into any circumstance that you are living through because he also lived them out. Jesus told his disciples not long before he left them in John, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that the world gives, the comfort that we find in the things of the world are temporary. But the peace that Jesus brought in his birth and left with us in his resurrection is not. It will never end. It is a peace that never ends, which is what makes it both hard to comprehend and so much better than the peace that we can find offered to us anywhere else. And the really cool thing about the peace of God is that God doesn't only wanna bring peace to you, but he also wants to bring peace through you to the people around you. In part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And I wanna make sure that you see here, it says peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And there is actually a difference. I think peacekeepers operate more on that surface level definition of like, there's no conflict. That's what peace means. Or at least probably more realistically, there's no visible conflict. I don't know if anybody grew up in a family like this where you just pretended like conflict didn't exist. Anybody? You can raise your hand if your family's not here. If your family is here, you might just wanna like do one of these, you know? But I know that a lot of people treat conflict this way. It's like when you're at Starbucks or the grocery store and you're just trying to like do your thing and get in and get out and somebody walks in that you don't really wanna talk to. So you're like, if I don't look at you, you're not there, you don't exist. You get real engrossed in that like ordering menu real, real fast all of a sudden. I think a lot of us do that with conflict. We're like, if I don't look you in the eye, I don't see you, you're not real, you're pretend, and I don't have to deal with you. That is peacekeeping, and I'm not sure that that actually does anything helpful. But being a peacemaker is different, and it might not actually look peaceful, because the peace of God is not passive. It's not passive. It's less about avoiding conflict and more about learning how to live maturely within and among it. See, being a peacemaker isn't getting everyone to agree on everything. It's getting people to understand and to see how we can disagree and still be in relationship. It's living in a way that fights well and fights fair because we know that we're actually fighting a supernatural power of evil and the other person with, we're fighting with isn't the actual embodiment of evil itself. <laughs> Being a peacekeeper avoids people. It blocks them on social media. It just pretends they don't exist. It might seem like it's bringing peace to you, but being a peacemaker is different. It's about living in a way that best supports every other person. It supports the best interests of all other people. 
That includes the words you say about them, the narratives you tell, the way you talk about past experiences and things that happened. Because peacemakers understand that God wants to bring peace through them into even the most volatile situations. Now, if like me, this happened to me when I was writing this message, I was like, cool, God, but she's not bringing peace into this situation. So why should I? Why do I have to do this? I think even then, even when we're in conflict with someone else, it's all the more important that we can let go and let God move in and bring peace into the situation through us. Because honestly, oftentimes what prevents us from having peace is our own hearts and our own minds. It's our own thoughts because it's easier to blame what someone else said or what someone else did. But that's just a way of us locking hands with blame, locking hands with something else other than God again. It's in our own thoughts. It's in our own feelings. It's in our own unforgiveness. It's in the way that we view other people. It's in the way that we view God or even the way that we think God views us. Sometimes it's our own perceptions that are keeping us from experiencing peace, from having peace ourselves and from bringing it to others. This is a hard thing to admit, but the only way to move forward in peace is in a little bit of humility and going, yeah, I can see that. I am the one blocking peace in this situation. Paul wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus, which was in going through its own time of division to encourage them in this similar peaceful unity. And he reminds them in Ephesians, he says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall, say wall, the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Now, as Paul is writing this letter, he's actually under house arrest because at the time in the temple, there was a physical wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles that separated. You could come here and you may not go here. And there was a physical wall in the temple. So Paul knows what he's doing and using this word and this example intentionally. The reason he's under house arrest is because he had been accused of taking a Gentile person past that wall into the court where only the Jewish men should have been. But also his point is to say, in Jesus's death, what we see, what we find here is that the need for a wall, physical or otherwise, should be completely eliminated. Because there is no division, there is no reason for division that is greater than the peaceful unity we can find when we can look at each other and see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus in other people. He says, this is the peaceful unity that Jesus brought. And so for you, there's most likely not a physical wall of hostility, a physical wall between you and someone else. But could there be a wall of hostility? of spite, of animosity? Could it be that you are so bitter against other people or another person that you have put up a wall that is blocking both your own peace and the peace of that other person? Paul goes on and he says, together as one body, 
Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus' birth brought the peace of heaven down. His death brought reconciliation back between us and God. And his resurrection brought true shalom and wholeness. So that even when everything feels shattered in pieces, you can still be made whole in him. There can be peace in your pieces because we know that the story isn't over. And we might not know what it looks like or how, but if we do believe in this special birth of Jesus, in this coming of the Messiah that brought peace to the world, then we also believe that one day somehow God is going to come back again and make everything right and new. So practically right now, what can we do? If we're in our own season of waiting, how can we bring a peace to the world around us? I've got three things that I think we can do practically. And the first one is some of us just need to give other people permission. We need to give people permission to say no. We need to give people permission to say, I love you very much, but I will not make 55 gluten-free, sugar-free, nut-free, dairy-free gingerbread houses that are decorated and bring them to the school by three o'clock today. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Not doing it. Some of us, Grandparents, maybe, I don't know, grandparents, just because your kids are not at school this week does not mean they can see you 13 times over Christmas break. Some of us need to give our people permission to say, no, it's okay, just rest, just be present, just find peace in this season. Maybe for some of you, you're like, that's not my life. Your life sounds crazy. Maybe you're like, I actually wish that I had a little more going on. I wish that I had someone to do these things with. If that's you, can I ask, extend the invitation to someone else. Look around to somebody else that maybe is thinking the same thing and invite them into your house. Pastor Mike at Thanksgiving gave a really beautiful message on family and as the church, as a family, and we were able to connect people together for Thanksgiving. We wanna do that again for Christmas. So if you think about your house and you're like, I've got an extra seat at my Christmas dinner table or around the tree on Christmas morning, we have a sign-up sheet at the 10-minute party after service. We would love for you to just write down your contact info. If you're watching online, you can leave it in the chat or shoot us an email. And at the same time, if you're like, I would actually love, I'm alone, or my family is far away, I would love to be brought in somewhere, there's a sign-up sheet for you as well. And we are going to do the absolute best that we can to get you guys connected so that everybody can be part of home and have an invitation in for Christmas. I think the last thing we can do to bring peace to the world around us is just to hold space for it. Just to hold space for peace by bringing God's peace into the presence of somebody whose life maybe feels a little frenetic and chaotic. And I know that you might want to come in with solutions and you might want to give them a 10-step plan for what they can do to find peace in their life or stop doing this or start doing this. You might just want to ask a lot of questions. Well, why do you feel this way? And why are you stressed out? Stop it. (laughs) For some of you, you need to hold space for peace. Just hold space, just breathe. 
show people what it can look like to just be in the moment and create space for the spirit of God to come in and be in their presence, to bring rest into their chaos. See, it matters that Jesus was born as a baby human. And it matters that Jesus lived the life that he lived on earth because he knew that one day we would be born as baby humans and we would be living these actual lives here on earth. It also matters that his life ended so that ours can be lived out fully and completely in shalom with God, in connection with each other, in peace that exists even among the broken pieces. Because even as we look around and go, things are not as they should be. This world, this life is not the way it should be. If we believe in this miraculous birth of Jesus, then we can also trust that things won't always be like this for forever. And it's the peace of God that is going to come in and be with us as we wait for what's to come. If you'll stand, I would love to pray this over us today, this sense of peace over not just our Christmas seasons, but our lives. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we don't have to understand you to access peace in our lives. God, we thank you that you can be complex and complicated. God, we can be complex and complicated and we can still tap into the peace that you're offering. God, I pray that as we go forward, you would open our eyes to see Jesus in unexpected places. God, when we look at the never-ending to-do lists and the chaos, that you would help us to see Jesus there, that you would help us to find freedom and peace there. God, even when we look at our own selves, maybe reflect back on mistakes, regrets that we have, times when we did not ourselves bring peace into situations, God, maybe we even made it worse for the people around us. God, I pray that we would be able to have grace for ourselves and even look there and see Jesus. God, you made it possible that your presence is with us wherever we go, whether we hear you or don't hear you. And so Lord, that is our prayer today. Would you help us to embody your peace, to take it in, to accept it, knowing it doesn't make sense. And then God, would you help us to take your peace to a hurting, broken world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.